good evening everyone. Settling into our new format. I'm thinking of um, names for this session. Um, we often name it out after an animal or a, some form of wildlife in Australia, but I think this one is the coming home session. <laughs> Doing it at home. I'd like to give a Dharma talk tonight on a, uh, a koan which is a koan which comes from the, um, the Mumon Khan, the Capeless Barrier, and it's case 13, and it's called Toksan Carries His Bowls, and it's one of my favourite koans. So Toksan one day came down to the dining room carrying his bowls. Seppo said, Old Master, the bell has not rung, and the drum has not yet been struck. Where are you going with your bowls? Toksan at once turned back to his room. Seppo told this incident to Ganto, who remarked, Great master though he is, Toksan has not yet grasped the last word of Zen. Hearing of it, Toksan sent his attendant to call Ganto in and ask, Do you not approve of me? Ganto whispered his reply to him. Toksan was satisfied and silent. The next day, Toksan appeared on the rostrum. Sure enough, his talk was different from the usual ones. Ganto came in front of the monastery, laughed heartily, clapping his hands and said, what a great joy it is. The old master has now grasped the last word of Zen. From now on, Nobody in the world can ever make light of him. As for the last word of Zen, neither Ganto nor Toksan has ever heard of it, even in a dream. If I examine it carefully, they're like puppets set on a shelf. Mm -hmm. So what do we make of this gobbledygook? Mm -hmm. Well, what it is, it's a, it's really, um, really demonstrates the spirit of Zen, this kind. I really like it. And it's actually a little Zen drama. It's a little, it's a light-hearted pantomime that's going on here. But let me first of all introduce you to the characters, the three, the three characters in this koan. Toksan is the teacher, and you may remember from your reading or from previous Dharma talks that um, Toksan appears in a uh, an earlier um, koan where he's the sort of arrogant intellectual young man who's a super duper expert on the Diamond Sutra and he hears that these southern devils, these Zen people down in the south of China who are talking about a Dharma outside of doctrine and outside of Sutra and he's going to come down and teach them a lesson and he meets the old tea lady as he's on his way and um, the old tea lady says, what are all those um, papers you've got in your cart that you're carrying along? And he said, well, they're, 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 they're sutras, my commentaries on the Diamond Sutra. Do you know, I'm Toksan. Do you know, I'm known as King of the Diamond Sutra. And she says, oh, that's very interesting. She said, I've heard in the Diamond Sutra that um, past mind cannot be grasped. Present mind cannot be grasped. Future mind cannot be grasped. With which mind are you going to drink your tea? Uh -huh. And he was stumped. And um, as they say in the commentaries, it demonstrated good character 
in Togsan that he just didn't dismiss her or was rude to her or whatever, he realised he, he couldn't answer her, that this was a challenge that he couldn't meet. And then he asked where the nearest Zen master was and went and studied with him. And he was a very well-known um, teacher through his time and he was known as being a very vigorous teacher. After his realisation, he goes into this monastery and um, comes in, I think he says, is anybody here? Is anybody here? And the teacher says something. And then he says, there's nothing here for me. There's nothing. And he walks out. Mm -hmm. A very robust style. And and uh, maybe a touch of arrogance there too, still. Uh -huh. um, but uh, he was known for his vigorous style. He said, say, say a word and I'll give you 60 blows. Say no word and I'll give you 60 blows. Uh -huh. But here we see him at the end of his life. This is about three years before he died. So one, one presumes he's a, a tottering little old priest by now, not this young, vigorous young man. But his Zen his is really ripened, you know, in, in old age. And, um, and so one imagines he's kind of this little old priest tottering down the stairs, you know, to go to the dinner, to go to the meal, and, um, and he's got the wrong time. Mm -hmm. Now, it brings us to um, Seppo, who says to him, well, you know, um, the drum hasn't beaten, you know, the clappers haven't gone, you know, it's, it's, this is not the time for, for dinner. Uh -huh. And Seppo, in his own time, this is Seppo as a, a younger man, but Seppo in his um, older years became a really great teacher in himself. And the other figure in there, um, the other character is Ganto. And Ganto and Seppo were very close friends, very close Dharma brothers who spent a lot of time together. And they were very different in character. And Ganto was considered to be like just the natural Zen person, like the, 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 the genius who just naturally got this very early on in his life. And Seppo was the one who had to practice really hard over and over again and do lots of Sazen, you know, before he eventually awakened or matured in his practice. Um, but it's said that Seppo became the better teacher. And sometimes someone becomes the better teacher because they've had to struggle with their practice rather than it's something that just came very easily to them. You see it in music teachers as well. You know, see people who are just gifted musically, you know, as a, as a child. And they don't particularly make good teachers because they haven't had to struggle with anything. And they expect everyone, you know, just to be able to do it the way they do it. And they, they're kind of impatient. But people like me who've had to practice a lot, you know, with a musical instrument, or with them, had to practice a lot. You know, you make mistakes, you go off the wrong track, you realise the mistakes. You know, it's a kind of a humbling, longer experience. And, and that struggle that you've had with yourself probably helps you to empathise with the struggle that other people go through. So anyway, to return to the story, they're the characters. So what happens is that um, Seppo um, says to Toksan, do you know the bell hasn't rung, do you know the drum hasn't gone? And um, what happens um, in this story is he's actually rather elated. 
Uh-huh. And he thinks he's got one up on the on the teacher, you see. Like the teacher's made a mistake. It's a bit like a child or an adolescent with their parent, you know, it's like the parent's in charge and knows what to do and is wiser. And the child catches them out on something, gotcha, right? You made a mistake. You were mindless coming down here. This is the wrong time for dinner. So he's rather caught up in this this youthful one-upmanship, you know, um, and he's rather elated about it. And so he, he tells this to his friend Ganto, do you know about what happened? You know, thinks it's sort of a bit funny. And so Ganto then appears to be agreeing with him. And he says, what are the words? He says, uh, uh, great master though he is, Togsan has not yet grasped the last word of Zen. He's not, he doesn't really believe that, actually. Um, he's, he's playing along. He sees that Seppo is stuck in this um, youthful kind of one-upmanship arrogance, so he just plays along with him, actually. And then Togsan hears about it, about this criticism, and, um, and asks him in, you know, don't, don't you approve of me as a teacher? And then he whispers something in Togsan's ear. This is one of the koan points. What is it that he whispers in his ear? But whatever it is, and that's for you to to um, come to that understanding yourself. Who, who whispers, Seppo or Ganto? Ganto whispers in Togsan's right. ear. Mm. A teacher's ear. Right. Uh-huh. The koan, there's a koan point in that. What did he whisper in his ear? But Togsan nods silently and demonstrates that he, yeah, I get you, I understand. And so the next day, he gives a Dharma talk. Togsan gives a Dharma talk, and it's rather different in its style. And as the story says, Ganto goes in front of the, the, the monastery, in front of the gathering, and laughs heartily and says, what a great joy it is, is that, teachers eventually got the last word in Zen, no one can make light of him. There's several points in this, but what I love about it is that it really demonstrates the um, the playfulness of Zen, that it's actually very, very playful at its core. And this, this uh, koan has got a very strong, um, what we could say, interpersonal context to it. It's not just about someone um, looking up and seeing the peach blossoms and being awakened, you know, or stubbing their toe and being awakened. It's to do with the, the interpersonal relationships between people. And it's kind of funny to, to consider uh, that a a religion or a spiritual way of life which is not built around doctrines and concepts and is so playful in its spirit um, that people build these big temples, do you know, around it, do you know, and people put money into building these big Zen temples and we don't see it here in Australia but you go to a country like Japan you know, these, these temples like Daitokuji that I, I took by um, practiced at in Kyoto, they're like massive, massive big grand temples that are national treasures. 
um, like our churches, like the church across the road or St Mary's, you know, or Notre Dame. Like they're that, they're that grand like that. Um, but at the core of the teaching is not about being right or having found the truth, you know, having the last word. You know, it's, it's not a religion that's based on a prophet having, you know, God, you know, have a, having a little word in his ear and then he comes down to earth and, and creates a religion that must be right and absolute because it came from the word of God. It's just simply not like that. And yet an institution has been built around this through which people can, in a sense, um, learn to recognise their own essential playfulness in the world. And that playfulness is at the, the core of what practice is. This little story is just a pantomime. But what it's what it evokes is that um, in Zen, we don't do it here in, in our particular school. It's um, more of a Rinzai school practice, but it's called Dharma Combat. The closest we come to it is the Shosan we do after session. But in Dharma Combat, people come up to the teacher and they challenge the teacher with a question. And then there's an exchange that occurs. Um, so it's a contest and it's used to um, sharpen, deepen realisation. So it's a very interesting process. I've been involved in it a lot in my own practice. But what, when you reflect on how it works, if someone's trying to win a Dharma combat, they lose, right? Because there's ego involved in it. And if, if you're trying to win and get the last word and, you know, um, you know, experience some kind of one-upmanship. It's it's through that that you'll get stuck and you'll get tangled. Um, and the way that Dharma combat works, the way all of these dialogues work, you know, in the in the koans in the Zen literature, is often often the monk is uh, trying to outwit the teacher, you know, or challenge the teacher. So they're trying to get somewhere and hold on to something. It's, it's a form of one-upmanship. But the teacher just pulls the rug out from underneath of them each time. So in a sense, wins, you know. It's not really a winning. There's no winners and no losers. But the paradox of Zen training is the one trying to win loses. The one who's got no investment in winning and losing, the one who's got no investment in one-upmanship wins. That's kind of how it works. So... This is a wonderful koan um, to engage with if at some point in your practice you engage with it. But here we see um, not only is Zen about playfulness, it's getting back to um, being authentic and genuine. And we come back to being authentic and genuine by just being the moment as it is, you know. It doesn't, it's no, it's no grander than that. It's not about finding some true self inside of yourself. As much as we give ourselves over to the momentariness of life and the suchness of life, that's where we find our authenticity and our genuineness. And if we, we, we touch base with that, then all of our 
our actions are ingenuous rather than disingenuous. You see, it's artless. So you see this when Toxan comes down the stairs, you know, and then the, the monk points out to him he's made a mistake, just turns around and goes back. <laughs> um, up at Gorick's Run on the Macdonald um, River, where um, I helped found the Sydney Zen Centre, um, uh, 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 retreat. Um, we used to have, there used to be a goanna there, an old goanna, a huge goanna, about six foot long. And, um, and you know how ancient, you know, they look. And he would, he would come down and he would sort of march down out of the tree and he would come down to the, to the building um, where we were sitting. And it must have been his routine, we think, you know, to go down there and look for food and walk around and sort of go through his territory. But we saw him, he would come down and then he realised that there was people in the, the building. So he just turns around and walks back again <laughs> and goes up the tree. It's like walking along, you know, up, people, oh, okay, turn around, go back. Right. No thinking, just turning around. Uh-huh. Um, what a wonderful thing to do to to bring that into our everyday lives. See, the point of koans is not just to pass them as some kind of, um, you know, clever demonstration of our insight or wit or whatever. Really, really the whole point of koan practice is to manifest this in our, in our daily life. So what happens when you make a mistake? You know, someone points out that you actually made a mistake, you turned up at the wrong time or, you know, the wrong place or whatever. You know, what do we do? Do you know? Do we do we feel stupid, which is a form of thinking, or do we blame someone else for it, which is a form of thinking? What is it we do? You know, um, how do we react to that? We we react in in various different ways to save face often, right? Particularly if we've got a lot of investment in it. But Toxan teaches us. He just comes down. He's made a mistake. The point, the monk points it out, and he turns around and goes back to his room. That's all. Mm-hmm. Now to follow through on the story of some of these characters, um, I think Toxan dies about three days, three three years later. He's an old monk, an old mellow priest by this stage. Um, Ganto and Seppo continued to be friends. And one day they were, in the winter, they were kind of snowed in in this little hut in the mountains where they were living together. And, and Ganto wasn't particularly practicing meditation much. Um, but Seppo was there every, every day, you know, meditation, like really intense practice going on. And Ganto says, to him one day, what are you trying to do? Like, like why, why are you working so hard at this? Do you know? And, he, and Seppo says, well, I'm, I'm still stuck. I don't, I don't, I don't realise what Zen is about. So I need to practice more. That's what we're told. And he said, well, try and help you out. And then he says these words. He says, what goes in through the family gate 
is not the family treasure. Right? And at that point, Seppo wakes up. Right? In other words, the, the, the metaphor is, is that enlightenment is not something that comes to you through work. It's realising what is already there right from the very beginning. The family with treasure was right there in the house. No one knows when it was brought in. Who cares? It's been there forever. It's not something new that you have to bring in. This is the realisation of sin. It's always been there. The treasure has always been there. You just have to stop chasing for it somewhere else and realise that it's there. And then the wonderful words um, that echo down the centuries, do you know, of um, when Seppo has this realisation, he doesn't say, oh, I've become enlightened now. Right? doesn't say that. What he says is, the whole of Turtle Mountain is enlightened. The whole of Turtle Mountain is enlightened. That's where they were staying. Not, I'm enlightened. That's a, that's a false statement to say, I'm enlightened. Who's enlightened? Who got enlightened? It, it, it um, inflates the spiritual ego. But here we, we see this, this gentle man, humble man in this experience, under seeing the interconnectedness of everything. The whole of Turtle Mountain is enlightened. So, there are great temples, you know, made to Zen and lots of books written, you know, and uh, but you, you find that it's essence, it's a religion, if you can call it that, or a way of life, which is very simple and humble and playful um, in its origins, and it makes fun of itself. Right? I mean, the old teachers used to have names for one another, like their Dharma names were kind of like Blockhead, <laughs> Stonehead, right? Donkey. Right? They all, they're all names, they're, they're, a lot of sort of irony and sarcasm was used in a very playful way because it was actually a, a backhanded compliment. You know, like, like a, a blockhead is, is someone who doesn't think. Right? Donkey is someone who doesn't think. Mm -hmm. D.T. Suzuki's Dharma name was uh, Dai something. But what it means in English is Great Donkey. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. So there's a lot, it has this, Zen has this spirit of being able to laugh of itself, you know, not take itself seriously. And um, there's obviously a, a very strong um, discipline and, and work goes into the practice, but it, it's, and people off from the outside think it's just deadly serious if they were looking in on us, you know. But the, the inner core of it is something which is um, extraordinarily playful and intimate with life. Because if you come back into being present to moment just as it is, without bringing this separation of the eye, and you embrace each moment as it is, you realise that that is just a play of energy going on, and we're part of that, that play. Like I said about the true spirit of Shikantaza is 
it's just free-falling through space and time. That's all we're ever doing, we're just free-falling through space and time. Even in our everyday lives, in a sense, that's what we're doing. We think we've got this great meaning and purpose to what we're doing. But when you, when you strip all that away and you just sit and do nothing, what you do, just free-fall through space and time. <laughs>